the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Shoeing Company and other factors. Not available. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy asks us to consider the fervency of our faith. Radical, reckless, uninhibited. You know what? I want that said about me. Not all the time necessarily, but that needs to be said about us often. And as you and I seek to serve and love the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the kind of ministry he deserves, the kind of worship he should be given, uninhibited and unreserved. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd. How would you describe your love for Christ? Is it unfettered and free or guarded and shackled with inhibitions? Wherever you are on that spectrum, today we're going to hear teaching from God's Word that will help your love for Christ blossom into a beautiful thing. As we turn to the Scriptures, Philip is teaching from Mark chapter 14, and today's message is from our series, Essential Jesus. Let's get started. I like a good sandwich just as much as the next guy. BLTs are my favorite, especially with some good rashers of bacon loaded on top. Well, as we come to Mark's gospel, we're going to see that Mark likes his sandwiches also. We have seen throughout this gospel that he tends to sandwich several stories together. He's got two outlying stories, and in the middle of those two outlying stories, he's got one story he wants to highlight. He sandwiches that meat between the two pieces of bread. And as we come to Mark 14, verses 1 through 11, we've got another Markan sandwich. Because in verses 1 to 2, he tells us about the desire and the design of the religious establishment to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. If you scroll down to verses 10 and 11, we are told that indeed Judas will betray the Lord Jesus Christ into the hands of these religious leaders who have been frustrated up until this moment. So that's the two slices of bread. Then you've got the meat of verses 3 through 9, the story of a woman who I'm going to make an argument for is Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. And so between the threat of the Jewish leadership and the treachery of one of his own disciples, you have this incident where you've got this woman who shows extravagant love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our sandwich. And her love is shown to be profound and real and deep when you compare it for the surrounding hatred and betrayal for the Lord Jesus Christ. You have this study in contrasts, this kind of sandwich in this passage of Mark's gospel. Hatred, 
betrayal. But love is wedged in the middle as a challenge to Mark's readers to be standout followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is surrounded by enemies. But in the middle of all of that, there's this one woman who's on her game and who comes and loves on him while everybody else is hating on him. And the point that I think Mark is making for his readers in Rome who themselves are facing persecution from the Roman government is that while hatred for Jesus Christ increases, our love for him must never decrease. We must be extravagant in our devotion and discipleship towards him. That's the lesson that comes out of this passage. To quote C.T. Studd, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then there is no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. And Mary understood that he would soon die. She anoints his body, so to speak, for that burial, which was the custom. And she understood that he's God. If Jesus Christ is God and Jesus Christ is about to die for me, then no sacrifice that I can make for him will ever be too small. And she takes this ointment, this perfume, and she just pours it out on him who will pour out his life for her. It's a beautiful thing. And it's going to be a challenge to us. So let's look at our tax. If you're taking notes, number one, I want you to see what I call the danger the danger. This is verses 1 and 2 and verses 10 and 11. The two slices of bread in the sandwich. The contrast. Before we get to her love, we're going to see the animosity and the opposition that the Lord Jesus Christ is facing. In verses 1 through 2, he faces a threat from the Jewish leaders. And in verses 10 through 11, he faces treachery from one of his own disciples, Judas. Now, we know from earlier in Mark, Mark chapter 3, verse 6, and then in subsequent passages, they had been gunning for Jesus for some time. He was high on their hit list. In fact, we're told here, aren't we, just before his crucifixion, two days before the Passover, they sought to take him by trickery, by sleight of hand, and put him to death. But they were being impeded by his popularity with the people. Let me kind of set the scene. It's a couple of days before Passover. This is one of the great Jewish festivals followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It takes them back to slavery and bondage in Egypt when God delivered them through the angel of death and delivered them from death itself through the sprinkling of the blood of the innocent lamb which was put on their mantle and their doorposts. And when the angel passed over the home of the Israelite, he saw the blood and death didn't come into that home. And then with the death of the Egyptians, Pharaoh caves, and the Israelites are set free. They rush out in such a rush, they have no time to knead the bread and make provisions, and they head out. And so you've got this feast of the Passover and this feast of unleavened bread. So this is a time of great fervor and religiosity and piety. And at this time, Jerusalem, that might have a population somewhere between 40 and 60,000, usually doubles or triples according to Josephus. It's a time of national fervor. So Jerusalem is packed. This is one of Israel's national holidays, something like their 4th of July. Many from Galilee have come up from the heartland of Jesus' support. 
And so you can imagine why they didn't want to lay their hands on the Lord Jesus Christ, because one, he had many supporters. Two, they risked a riot and civil disturbance, which would be no fun if the Romans tried to just stamp it out. So that's where we're at, the danger. The threat is real. It's being foiled right now because it's Passover. Jesus is still popular with the people. If they were to do something and upset the apple cart, they could risk a riot. And so they wait. They decide to wait until after Passover. But according to verses 10 and 11, Judas shows up. He offers Jesus' head on a plate, so to speak, and says, hey, if you give me enough, I'll sell him out. He's a snake in the grass. He's a dirty rat. And he's going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ in a couple of days. In fact, almost within 24, 48 hours. And so then they're able to do what they haven't been able to do, and they're going to be able to do it sooner than they think. That's the danger. And you can imagine that they're sniggering up their sleeve. At last! What hasn't happened is about to happen. We're going to spring a trap. We're going to get them. We're going to outsmart them at last. But listen, not so fast. Because I want to just remind you, although it's not explicit in the text, it is implicit in the text, that in the presence of all this intrigue, in the presence of all this hatred and murderous intent, God is not absent. The throne of heaven has not been vacated during all of this time. When you're going to see Jesus being arrested, mocked, flogged, there's going to be a miscarriage of justice. He's going to be put to the cross. He's going to suffer in public shame. He's going to be a victim of death. Looking at that from the outside, it looks like everything's going wrong. But it's not. God is still sovereign in all of this. Because it's easy when you come to the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, his betrayal by Judas, his arrest in the garden, the mockery, the flogging, the crucifixion. It's easy to look all of that. And to the foreground, all you see is the actions of wicked men with wicked hands and wicked hearts. In fact, that's what Acts 2, 22 and 24 talks about. How he was taken by wicked hands and put to death. But you need to not just see the foreground and what man does. You need to see the background and what God intends. Because to the background of the cross is God's sovereign purposes and plans. In fact, you read Acts 22, verses 22 to 24, and while it says he was taken by wicked hands, it also says he was delivered up by the determined purpose and will of God. In fact, Acts 4, 27 to 28, says that they couldn't do anything but what God allowed them to do in the case of Jesus' arrest, trial, mockery, and crucifixion. The danger to Jesus' life. That's where we're at, the danger. It's very real. They want to kill him, and they will kill him, and Judas will make that happen. The danger to Jesus' life in our text is not a threat to the purposes and plans of God. We're being reminded here of the sovereignty of God. The amazing thing about this text is that divine forces are at work behind the scenes while the Jewish leaders have the illusion that they're in control. God's will is being done. Jesus had predicted this. There's nothing out of control. He told his disciples three times that when they get to Jerusalem, he's going to be killed. 
But on the third day, he's going to rise again. In fact, back in Mark 3, 6, early on, they had tried to kill him. They were looking for opportunities to kill him. They're still looking for ways in which they can get him, but they have been thwarted. Why? Because the hour was not yet. Read John's gospel, and he talks about an hour. But when you get to this Passion Week, and you get to John 17, and Jesus prays in that night with his disciples, he says, the hour has come. Talk about sovereignty. Talk about providential protection. Talk about God's will being done. It's two days to the Passover. It's Wednesday night. He will establish the Lord's Supper on Thursday. They will go out after singing a hymn. They will go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he will be arrested, and he'll be singled out by the Judas kiss. Then you'll have the trial, you'll have the flogging, and then you'll have the crucifixion on Friday. And it's all happening during Passover week. It's that significant, you betcha, because he's our Passover. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Are you getting the sense there's nothing coincidental here? Remember, Jesus is no victim. He tells us in John 10, no man takes my life, I lay it down. And so while there is danger here, Mark's telling us that the leaders are threatening and there's treachery in the heart of Judas. You need to remind yourself, but there's no threat to the plan and purpose of God. In fact, when Judas betrays him, you'll read later on, and we'll come to it in Mark's gospel here in chapter 14, Jesus will say, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When his disciples scattered into the night like frightened sheep, he'll quote Zechariah saying, this is what happens, smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And he will pray on the clay floor of Gethsemane, not my will done, but what? Your will be done. This is the will of God. This is the sovereign purposes of God. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So while there is a threat to Jesus' life, it is within the purposes and plans of God. There is wicked hands at work, but there is a sovereign hand in all of that, trumping his will on their will without violating their voluntary actions. It's called concurrence if you're a theologian. Read, Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Men are attempting to kill Jesus, but it's God's purpose that Jesus should be killed, to die for our sin. No matter how dark, no matter how desperate things get in life, you and I must believe that God is up to something. Would you believe that? You've come with burdens and baggage. There's something going on right now you wish wasn't in your life. I get it. But God is up to something. Don't be thinking that things are out of control. All things can work together for good, even the bad. You and I need to believe that. Study the suffering church, and you'll realize it was a belief in the sovereignty of God that allowed them to persevere and to prosper. And when I was growing up in Northern Ireland, I was aware that the church in Romania was being persecuted behind the Iron Curtain. Ceausescu hadn't fallen yet. Freedom hadn't come. And saints behind the Iron Curtain in Romania were suffering, and none more than Joseph Tone, who was a Baptist pastor, who was arrested several times, and he was beaten, interrogated, and abused by the Romanian communists. In a sermon by David Platt, he quotes Joseph Tone on an occasion where he's being interrogated by Romanian communists, six of them in all. And here's what he says about his interrogators. This is Joseph Tone's own words. 
What is taking place here is not an encounter between you and me. This is an encounter between my God and me. That's his perspective when he's in the kind of romper room getting interrogated, beaten, and abused. He said, the interrogators looked puzzled. Tone went on to say, my God is teaching me a lesson through you. I do not know what it is. Maybe he wants to teach me several lessons. I only know, sir, that you will do to me only what God wants you to do. You will not go one inch further because you are only an instrument of my God. He had a belief in the sovereignty of God, a belief that God triumphs over evil and mysteriously even uses it for glorious and good ends. There are no accidents, only appointments. And whatever threatens you can't thwart the plan of God for you. Now, that's the danger. Secondly, the devotion. The devotion. Now, we're moving to verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at a table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil or ointment or perfume of spike and arch. He broke all flask and poured it on his head. This is a beautiful thing. Remember our sandwich? Threats from the leadership, betrayal from Judas, and in the middle of it, a woman loving on Christ while others are hating on him. This is the contrast. This is the beautiful thing in the midst of the ugliness. Mark wants us to know while Jesus has his detractors, he has his devotees. That's the devotion. There's two things about this devotion quickly. Number one, it was inhibited and it was unreserved. And as you and I seek to serve and love the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the kind of ministry he deserves, the kind of worship he should be given, uninhibited and unreserved. You say, Pastor, show me that in the text. Well, number one, uninhibited. This woman defied protocol. Now, it's not clear in the text, but you know what? A literal, grammatical, historical view of the text would yield us that a woman shouldn't go barging in to a dinner in public where men are sitting around a table. That's defined protocol. But she ignores the protocol. She ignores the custom and the convention. Usually women went into that situation simply to serve food, but not Mary. She just goes barging in and loves on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's uninhibited. She didn't care about the scald looks she got, maybe even the words of rebuke, because before long, they'll be criticizing her sharply. Another thing about the fact that she's uninhibited, before long she will be criticized for what she did. And I would think she anticipated that. I think she knew what she was about to do was out of the norm. She was about, and I'll make an argument for this in a moment, she used a family heirloom and she just broke it and she poured it out all over the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to see the immediate reaction is that's reckless. Totally reckless. That could have been given to the poor. That's a large sum of money by anybody's account. What are you thinking of, Mary? Well, let me tell you what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking about him and his impending death. I'm thinking about the fact he's the son of God. We won't always have him here on earth. I'm going to love on him. You guys have a problem with that? That's your problem. She's uninhibited. What a wonderful example, ladies, for you and guys for you. Her love for the Lord Jesus Christ is uninhibited. And you know what? I pray that God will give me that kind of spirit and you that kind of spirit. Out of the norm, radical, reckless, uninhibited. You know what? I want that said about me. Not all the time necessarily, but that needs to be said about us often. I mean, Mary didn't do this every day. She'd only 
so many precious things to give. But you know what? Once in a while, she just broke out of the norm, and she did what was reckless and uninhibited. You know what? We've been saved from sin. We've been saved from eternal destruction, and we're still inhibited rather than uninhibited about our witness for Jesus Christ and our love for him. Doesn't Mary, this woman, challenge you and me that she's uninhibited in her love? I don't care what you think, and I don't care what you say. Get out of my way. I'll love him, and I'm going to show it to you. Philip DeCourcy, teaching us the kind of love we should have for Jesus Christ. You're listening to Know the Truth in a message titled, A Beautiful Thing. To find more from the Essential Jesus series, go to ktt.org. Well, if you've been with us throughout this series, you know that we address some important themes about the end times. In particular, we know that Jesus could return at any time. So, at Know the Truth, we are more committed than ever to get God's truth out. And Philip, Come back and tell our listeners how they can partner with us in this great and urgent mission. Well, thanks, Wayne. I am excited to share with our listeners the opportunities we have today for sharing the gospel through Know the Truth ministry. These are critical times, and I believe our ministry, Wayne, is on the front line of what God is doing in terms of declaring His Word clear and convincingly. Uh, You know, uh, truth has fallen in the street. So to, to use the words of Jeremiah the prophet here in the United States, it seems we're going backwards as a country, both spiritually and morally. And therefore, this ministry has a critical role. We want to redeem the time. We want to be used by God to speak into our nation and the changing culture. And we see this as both the worst of times and the best of times. Uh, We're sad to see the retreat. We're sad to see the reversal. But at the same time, we see a window, an opportunity to proclaim the gospel ever more fearlessly. And we have that opportunity through the multiple media platforms that we have. We're advancing the gospel throughout this nation. In fact, this year, we have embraced an historic opportunity to just reach further and, and into more hearts and into more homes. And so while lives hang in the balance God has called this ministry into existence. I believe we and we're faithful to that call. And you know what? We need listeners to stand with us as we stand for Christ in this evil day. And you know, if you're listening today, uh, can I ask you to prayerfully consider coming alongside us, partnering with us? You know, I was thinking the other day, given what we've just said, Wayne, you know, that old wartime poster. Your country needs you. Remember that point, that finger pointing in the, the direction of every, every man, an able-bodied person in the nation. And in some sense, I'm, I'm doing that to those that are listening today. I'm pointing that finger. We need you. At this time when we're fighting for the soul of our nation, we're, we're contending for the truth. Would you think about standing with us as we stand for Christ in this evil day? Can you help us? By uh, calling us today, uh, going onto our website at ktt.org or calling us at 888-644-8811 and pledging your support. That could be a one-time gift or better still, that could be a monthly contribution. We need your help. The hour is late. We've got the Word of God. We've got the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be faithful to that great commission to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Would you help us today? would really appreciate it. 
We sure do. Thank you, Philip. And we hope you will reach out today with your most generous gift of the year. We've got a $300,000 year in gold to complete our commitment to reach new cities like Houston, Tampa, Denver, St. Louis, and so many more. Won't you give your most generous year in gift before it's too late? Call us at 888-644-8811 or go online to ktt.org. When you give, we're going to be sending you the ESV Daily Devotional New Testament with our thanks. Use it to stay close to God's Word on a daily basis or give it to someone this Christmas. Make a year-end donation and request the ESV Daily Devotional New Testament when you call 888-644-8811 or go online to ktt.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. Philip DeCarcy will be challenging us with the question, what are you willing to give up for Christ? That's Thursday, here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. townhall.com. The American Bar Association has recently tipped its hand, showing how very partisan it has become. Joe Pelozo, writing at the Wall Street Journal, reports that tensions between Senate Republicans and the Bar Association have escalated in recent weeks after the ABA pronounced a Nebraska lawyer unfit to serve on the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Why? Because of his, quote, deeply held social agenda, end quote. That nominee, Mr. Stephen Gratz, said that a member of the ABA Evaluation Committee who interviewed him repeatedly referred to Republicans and conservatives as you guys or you people and also asked for Mr. Gratz's personal views on abortion, the death penalty, and adoption by same-sex couples. Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska got it exactly right when he said, quote, We should completely dispel with the fiction that the American Bar Association is a fair and impartial arbiter of facts. End quote. I'm Albert Moeller. Want to be inspired, connected? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.